You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into episode 182 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. What a fun show we have planned for you today because there's a lot of news going on in Virginia Tech athletics on the basketball front. Earlier this week, it's been reported that Virginia Tech head coach Mike Young has received a contract extension that'll keep him in Blacksburg through 2026-2027 season, and Keve Aluma returns for the upcoming season. We'll talk a little bit of hokey hoops to lead off the show, plus six commitments for Virginia Tech football over the last week and a half. We'll talk to Will and Chris about the new newest hokey players on the gridiron and I know some people are not looking forward to this, but we are going to have a great discussion here about the top five most painful losses in Virginia Tech football history. As uh, we take sports a trip. history, right? Well, Will said football. We could do sports history, you too. Said, I, I'm it, sorry. In your tweet, you said Virginia Tech athletics history, so. <clears throat> I think we're going to do football today. But well, if you want to okay. blew Chris's list out of the water. <laughs> Here we go. Episode one. We'll figure it out. Episode 182 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Get started right now. Whether you are watching live or archived on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher, we're so glad you could join us as we record on Tuesday morning, June 29th. We're already off to a great start today with our normal crew, as always, to my left, our managing editor who's rocking all VPI on the set today. It's with retro a hat. day. Is it a retro day? Oh, to me. Oh, to you it is. Okay, cool. VPI hat. I declare that it is. And is that a fighting gobbler shirt? It is. It's the old school fighting gobbler. There you have it. That's Chris Coleman there. It's my favorite fighting gobbler. Yeah. They should actually, actually, I think they should do a VPI helmet and like one of these dudes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) At at Hokey 20, Clark Rulin. Across the way, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart. He's rocking a really cool shirt today. What what, what brand is that there, Will? It's a Greg Norman. It's got a little shark on the... uh, on the crest here. So I got to fall on my sword here. The, the confusion over today's topics is my fault. So Evan um, texts us and says, let's do the top five most painful losses in VT athletics history. And I somehow morphed that into football when I tweeted about it and announced it. And so we're, we're and, and then that's what I researched was football. Chris did all sports. So perfect. Well, how about, I read, we'll, the, we'll, I read the text. We'll so, do it. How about this? We'll do. We'll start with football. Well, and then we'll do all sports two together. Okay, you I can. Mean, I, I can. I yeah. can. You got a pen? 
Here you go. Thanks. I think there are a couple that will come right to mind for football. I, I, can, so. I can cross one of these out and then just move <laughs> one of these up. All right, so while Chris does that, behind the scenes, we can't forget the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Again, great to have you with us, especially for those watching live on YouTube. The the comment section, we have been live for less than five minutes. It's already blowing up right now. Will, if you're watching live or archive, what are three things you can do to help Tech Sideline? Uh, You can like and subscribe and comment and participate in the discussion and of course uh the youtube algorithm loves it if you comment after the live video is archived yep there you go and ronnie adams is chiming in if you're doing the top five bad losses you got to do the top five best wins a hundred percent we'll do more podcasts to do over the summer and so i promise we will do that and i'm already catching a lot of flack on social media and in the (laughs) chats for doing this just trying to think of engaging topics that could engage tech fans over the summer here and we're gonna have a great discussion on that a reminder the tech sideline podcast is presented by the southeast regional training center you can go to southeastrtc.com to find out how you can get involved and help one of the best wrestling programs in the entire country here in blacksburg with the virginia tech wrestling program again that's southeastrtc.com and I tell you what, if we're doing top five best wins in tech history, gosh, the dual meet win over NC State this year, that's one of the best in wrestling history. That was very cool. So that is certainly one that I think would get a lot of uh, of airtime when we do that podcast. But it's great to have all you all of you with us. Again, you go to TechSideline.com. It's a great time to become part of the Tech Sideline family over the summer. We're on Twitter at TechSideline. And there's been a lot of news in Virginia Tech Athletics over the last couple of weeks. And let's start on the hardwood will because it was reported yesterday on monday june 28th that virginia tech men's basketball head coach mike young is going to receive a three-year contract extension that's going to keep him in blacksburg through the 2026-27 season of course coach young has come in in two years helped guided the Hokies to the ncaa tournament and his second year acc coach of the year in a top three finish in the acc this past season well, I'll start with you. Your thoughts on the reported news that was from John Rothstein and Mark Berman that Mike Young is going to be here an extra three years in Blacksburg. So Berm, uh, Rothstein had it first on Twitter, right? And then uh, so Berman did some reporting and Berman called some people over to text some anonymous people. Story, yeah. anonymous source, yeah. So there's an article in Running Times today written by Berman, and, and I read it this morning. And <clears throat> so my first reaction was, uh, and don't take this in a negative way, but my first reaction was, well, that was quick. Um, no, not really, because he only had three years left on his contract. It was original five-year deal. His original five-year deal, so he only had three years left on that. And that's when it starts to affect recruiting, because they tell, you know, uh, uh, other teams tell recruits, oh, Mike Young's not going to be there your entire career. Um, so it's, it's customary if you like a coach at this point in time, you extend him out beyond just three years. So uh, I got over that pretty quickly. He was originally scheduled to go through 2023, 20, 24. He's now 2026, 2027. 20, now, of course, Berman doesn't have any figures. They don't know how much he's going to make because that that's stuff that is released formally. You know, whoever his source was didn't tell him that. Um, so in reading the article, there were a couple of interesting notes. Uh, you know, the, the pandemic and the 10% pay cut and all that stuff threw everything uh, all all this stuff out the window because I think I think the coaches at Tech took a ten percent uh, pay cut, um, mm-hmm. and and it wasn't clear from reading the article, but I think that Mike Young passed on what were supposed to be his bonuses this year. So Berman listed a hundred thousand dollar ACC Coach of the Year bonus, nice, 
a $100,000 bonus for making the NCAAs, um, and then a $50,000 bonus for making the top three in the ACC. There's also a bonus for a 3.0 GPA. David David Cunningham keeps all this in a little uh, table. That's one of the reasons we hire him. That's right. And, and, and originally, uh, I think it was supposed to be, you know, the 10% pay cut also includes bonuses for athletic department yeah. employees. So that was originally supposed to be 10% off all of those bonuses okay. or whatever. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah was it, the phrasing wasn't clear to me. Did he pass on the bonuses entirely or were they cut 10% also? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, what can you say? He's 59 years old, and I've said it many times now. Say it many more. I wish we had him at 49, <laughs> you know. Uh, but he, he appears to have good energy. They're still recruiting well. He's, he's able to make outstanding assistant coach hires. So he, there's still a lot of gas left in the tank there, and, and, and I think it's a well-deserved uh, extension. Yeah, and Witt has shown a tendency to extend coaches after one or two years yeah. if they're successful. I mean, he did it with Fuente. Now, granted, the reason he did it with Fuente is there were other teams expressing interest right. for Fuente at the time, like LSU and Florida State and teams like that. So, uh, But, yeah, this is uh, – it's very, I wasn't surprised when I saw it because it's, it's, it's a wit very wit move. Yeah. I don't think it would have hurt recruiting for another year, but at the same time, like I don't, I don't see why not. Now, what I'll be most most interested in is seeing if you know the extension is also accompanied by a raise, a pay raise, or anything like that. But but that information's not out there yet. Yeah. Could the first two years of his tenure gone any better? Wow. Maybe maybe if he'd won an NCAA game. Other than that, I mean, I think it would have gone better this year if, if COVID hadn't caught up to him at the end of the year. And they yeah, missed they, they were really on a roll. And yeah, and you saw like the last two games they played. They lost to North Carolina and they lost to Florida. Got it, and they led seventy five percent of those games, and then they just ran out of gas because they they yeah. just hadn't hadn't got that much conditioning in over the last month. Yeah, so could have been better. But and, and there's difference between conditioning and game shape, as you yeah. know, you yeah. know. And so it's you've got to play games. It's different. And I remember that discussion coming out of the 2017 uh, WVU Virginia Tech football game. Oh yeah, Tech was gassed, gassed. By, by the end of the game, and and I remember I think they asked Fuente about it later, and Fuente said, "Listen, you can run all you want to, you can do all the sprints and drills all you want to. There's nothing like actual game, right? And it's not like you can send your scout team out there to simulate West Virginia's up up tempo offense because they just don't have the skill of. Did, of did they West run a hundred plays that game? For, if they did, yeah. it was close. So anyway, point being, there's a difference between practice shape and game shape, and Tech was not in game shape. <laughs> Chris, give me one thing that has impressed you most about Mike Young that you weren't maybe expecting. Was it his ability to reshape the roster right away when he got the job? Is it his play style, the the assistance, the ability to bring it? Like, what is? Yeah. Give me one thing that really stands out on Mike Young. To I think you. his assistant coaching decisions have been very good, and it's not that it, that it's necessarily surprised me. It's just I didn't know when when you hire somebody from a low major level all the way to the high major level, um, then and they and they've been coaching at that level for you know two decades, like like Mike Young had. Um, you you just you don't know what kind of context they have as far as assistant coaches go, and and you don't know if they're gonna see things, you know, at the Power Five level when they've been seeing things at the Winthrop level their entire career, you know, yeah. two decades plus you know time as an assistant. So to be clear, he knows Mike Young coached at Wofford, not Winthrop. Wofford, Winthrop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's the morning. Yeah, it is. Uh, and you threw me off. Y'all threw me off with your 
Oh, let yeah, me redo my list. Just football. I know. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the thing that I think that's impressed me the most. Uh, I don't think the guy sleeps. Um, he, he is a master uh-huh. at dealing with fans, dealing with media, dealing with donors. Um, you know, uh, he just – has a remarkable grasp on, on how to run a program. And, and, you know, don't trivialize that taking the, taking the CEO approach when you are a coach, because the first thing you do as a coach is you fall in love with the X's and O's in the same way that I started tech sideline, not so I could be president of some small media company someday. I started because I like to write about tech sports Hmm. and 25 years later, I barely write at all, you know, and, and I, I personally, I don't think that I really made the jump to being CEO all that well. I still, I still would rather sit there and and upload and tag photos in the WordPress media library. I I tend to get bogged down in trivial stuff like that. So I respect people who are able to make the jump from their original passion to getting the big picture, and and I think he's really aced that. Yet he also still remains an X's and O's coach. Yeah, then that's why I said I don't think the guy sleeps. <laughs> I don't know how he gets it all done. So, again, this is reported. I guess it's not official. It's not been announced right. by Virginia Tech yet. But if what is being reported is true. He's going to be through the 2026-27 season. And in April, Hokies Athletic Director Whit Babcock announced that there's going to be major renovations to Castle Coliseum over the next five years. So, Chris, assuming that he is still here in 2026-2027, that means he's going to have been here for, what, seven, eight years by that point? Yeah. Around that number? Quick math? So, to have the renovations to Castle, a beloved place by mm-hmm. Virginia Tech fans, and you've got a coach who's already made an NCAA tournament you know, from Southwest Virginia that everybody loves. I mean, is that important to have somebody in place like Mike Young to be there and guide Virginia Tech through the transition and the expansion of Castle Coliseum? I think you like to combine the stability – with the recent success of the basketball program, with the announcement of a renovated Castle Coliseum. When you combine all those things together, the program's got a lot of momentum right now. Yeah, everything from a, from a fundraising standpoint to a coaching standpoint, and, you know, it's, it's all, all going in the same direction. Let's, uh, real quick, uh, also news that came out earlier this week. Uh, I was talking about Virginia Tech. Keve Aluma is coming back, and we mentioned recent success. Certainly, Keve Aluma has had recent success. His first year in Blacksburg after redshirting, uh, just over 15 points per game and nearly eight rebounds per game. All ACC second team performer this past year and was critical in the Hokies making their fourth consecutive NCAA tournament. Well, he declared for the NBA draft, but declared knowing he had the chance to return back to school, which he ended up doing. Is that what you expected all along from Aluma? You know, it's it's funny you ask that question because I was just sitting here while you we were talking. Did I did I I think emotionally I was operating under the assumption that he would come back because I didn't want to think about the alternative. <laughs> um, and but when I think about it rationally, um, and, and man, I don't want this to sound the wrong way. I'm not sure that was the right decision. We <laughs> we we beat this subject to death. I'm I'm not so sure he shouldn't have gone to Europe and made money, you know, or just just get that part of his career started. I think it's a real. I mean, he's going to turn 23 this year. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a real yeah. gift that he's coming back for another year. That's a big deal. I, I, yeah, I know. And uh, if you think about it, he's 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 costing himself possibly one extra year of his life making six figures or seven figures, you know, depending on how good he eventually is, because. You know your initial contract, you know, isn't isn't over overseas isn't worth as that quite that much. Right. But 
it just means your last contract is now that you ever sign as a professional is going to be signed one year later. So you're going to end up costing yourself, you know, six or seven figures probably. So it's, it's interesting from that standpoint. Now, granted, I think some of these guys still think about it in terms of, oh, the NBA is my ultimate goal and I'll do whatever it takes to get to the NBA. Um, I, I don't, I don't know as, as European basketball continues to grow. Um, and, and the money gets bigger and bigger over there in, in terms of basketball salaries. Uh, we'll see if they continue to think that way. Um, but yeah, I, he. Uh, I'm glad he's back, and I thought he would come back. But mm. uh, you know, I, I'm not so sure. You know, from a pure monetary standpoint, that it was the right decision. We'll see. I, I know my dad would have gone nuts if I'd have made a decision <laughs> like that. I've, I've got a brother; he's eight years older than me, and he uh, UVA grad. And he eventually went to UVA med school and became a doctor. Well, the UVA undergrad process took him seven years for reasons I won't get into. He, I, I think he got measles or something like that. He got something his sophomore year that de- his second year on grounds that, that derailed him and made it made it take seven years to to graduate undergrad. And I remember my dad saying, you know. Think about how much that cost him. He could have been a doctor three years earlier if he'd gotten through UVA in four years. And so that's the way my dad thought. Right. You know, and yeah, you know, I don't know. If Doc's come out making 150 grand a year, that might have cost him half a million bucks taking seven years to get through UVA instead of four. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're an overseas player in a lot of those countries, like you don't pay taxes, the club pays your taxes for you. You know, so there's that involved. I don't know, man. You offered me a couple hundred grand to go live in uh, Barcelona or Madrid or Milan, and I don't have to pay taxes. Yeah, I might do it. But we're very thankful Kevin yeah. Loom is coming back. Yeah. No. And, and by the way, this is deck. this is something new to the NBA process where you can declare for the draft, get feedback. I think it's before the combine starts. And, you can withdraw your name and return and, back to well, school. Well, and then he he went to the G League elite camp because it was obvious that uh, he wasn't going to get drafted. By 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 the NBA, like if he was going to leave, he would have ended up on a G League roster, and so it comes down to how much money he would make in the G League for a year. Because, like I said, these guys still think in terms of NBA, uh, like overseas career is their last option as far as they're yeah. concerned. Um, like Ahmed Hill played in the in the G League this past year, and I know he could have made more money overseas than he would have playing in the G League. I'm sure. Um, but these guys, they still, they grow up thinking NBA, NBA, NBA. Uh, but I wonder if long-term, you know, that will change to a certain extent. We'll see. So, Aluma coming back. Mike Young extended. Castle Coliseum's getting renovated over the next five years. There just seems to be a lot of positivity around this program. And, uh, you know, kind of exciting to think about this upcoming season. You know, you see the... Uh, the tweets on Hokies Men's Basketball Twitter account. You see Storm Murphy here. You see him next to Sean Padula and a lot of uh, the pictures. And so I don't want to go down this rabbit hole for too long. But uh, certainly when November rolls around, it's going to be very exciting to see this Virginia Tech team in action with a lot of good non-conference games. This is our final note on men's basketball before we transition. Uh, it was announced the ACC Big Ten Challenge in 2021 that Virginia Tech will face former ACC foe Maryland in College Park. They have not played since March 4th, 2014. It's going to be December 1st. Uh, Tip-off and TV coverage will be announced at a later date. 
Uh, Hokies went six and nine against the Terps when they were both members of the ACC, but Tech won six of the first ten meetings before Maryland won the final five matchups. Hmm. Will, yep. are you excited to play Maryland again after the Terrapins left the ACC for the Big Ten? So many thoughts come to mind. You know, there's so much surrounding that. Most of it jokes. Like number one, can we get Grievous Vasquez just one more year of eligibility and watch <laughs> him was, play? He's so good. Yeah. Um, number two, one of the greatest basketball experiences ever was when it iced and snowed one year and fans couldn't make it to Castle. Maryland was coming to visit. Fans couldn't make it to Castle. So Virginia Tech said, to heck with it. Any student that wants to come, come. So it was 10,000 students. 10,000 stu- students in in Castle. It was really? Maryland. Yeah. And I think Vasquez was playing back then. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, man, that was rock. And, and, and then a couple of years, I don't, I don't know if he was playing at that point. I don't remember what year that was. Anyway, uh, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But late, And later on in his career, he came back and beat Tech in that triple overtime game. And, yeah. and I remember, like, uh, he made comments about on social media. I don't remember if they had Twitter at that point in time or if it was Facebook or something else. But uh, he made comments about how he loved playing in Castle Coliseum yeah. and how the Castle crowd was great and everything like yeah. that. Yeah, and he, he, he was always that guy that would engage the the opposing crowd. Uh, and then the other thing was – Oh, and Tech recruited him hard, too. Like, we almost, they, Tech almost got him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So so he probably had some level of affection for Virginia Tech. Certainly Tech fans did not have that in return. <laughs> so so the third thing is when this got announced, Maryland fans got all bent and said that Coach K was avoiding playing Maryland one more time because that's who the Maryland fans want. They want to play Duke. Mm-hmm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but these matchups are based on where you finish in the conference, right? To a certain extent. Except and, Mar- and, well, they're based on where you finished the previous year and maybe a little bit where you're projected to finish the Love upcoming the year. year. And, and, and they try to get it to the point where if you've hosted – if you hosted one year, then you're on the road the next year. Right. So it's not a direct correlation. But this was so. not Coach K's decision. Right. He's not no. avoiding Maryland. Well, that's going to be a ton of fun to watch that. And you think about Tech's non-conference schedule that has been announced as of Tuesday, June 29th. Um, they're going to play Maine and Blacksburg, Radford and Blacksburg. They're going to play Navy and Annapolis, Maryland and College Park. And then kind of the marquee ones, the what, what is the uh, preseason is NIT classic. Preseason or NIT tip-off. It's uh, either Xavier, Iowa State, or Memphis. Play two of those teams. And then I think the one I'm most excited about, guys, December 17th, St. Bonaventure in Charlotte. And that's part of a quadruple header, or I think, or a triple header, or a quadruple header. So uh, why are you excited about that one? Well, because the Bonnies are always the top of the A-10, and they always are an NCAA tournament team um, that typically wins a game or two. I mean, they are. And, and that's that's going to be an RPI uh, yeah, booster. I mean, no such thing as the RPI. I'm, I'm, sorry, right, I'm sorry, quadrant yeah. one. Yeah, that's well, going to be a game that can help the resume. The, the, they're certainly uh, playing all those neutral site games plus a game at Navy. Uh, you know, if you you win some of those, it's it's going to help you, it, you know, with your quadrant one, quadrant two, whatever. It's going to help your uh, your overall March resume. What is that metric called again? I'm blanking. I forgot. RPI is stuck in my head. I know, I know you're talking about Q. Just the quadrants and the yeah. What uh, is it? What is that metric called? None of us can remember. None of us can remember. I, <laughs> I just know it's quadrant. I spent like, the whole basketball season writing about it. Talking about quadrants. I'll get a text can, from David Cunningham here in two seconds. Just wait. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so let's not gloss over that Radford thing because Mike Jones has left Radford, I think, to go to UNC Greensboro. Mm-hmm. And Radford hired Shane Nichols, who I believe was played from, for Mike Young at Wofford. The net. Not, or did his. The net. Thank Sorry. You. Thank you, Michael Watson. Uh, uh, yeah, the net. Uh, I'll have to look that up, but, uh, oh, no, but I thought, Shane, I thought he played at West Virginia. 
right? Darius played at West Darris Virginia. Darius played at West I'm, keeping, and, I'm and, getting them mixed up. And yeah. Shane and Darius, and I think Darius joined Shane's staff at Redford. I'm well, not sure. Well, Sh- yeah, Shane was on on Mike Young's staff, I know, at Wofford okay. at some point, right? Yeah. Because there was some speculation that he might come to Virginia Tech as an assistant when, when Mike Young was hired here. And to close it out, Shane and Darius are both uh, Radford High School graduates, just like Mike Young. Right. So are, are you are you looking it up there, or do I need to look it up? Uh, on the net? No, Shane Nichols. <laughs> Evan doesn't know who that is. <laughs> All right, let's see. Joins men's basketball. All right, Evan, carry on the show while I look this up. We will continue. Uh, Michael Watson chimes in and says, I pay attention to Chris's articles, LOL, about the net. So there we go. Sorry, we had a uh, – so while you look up Shane Nichols again, let me recap the uh, the non-conference slate again. Maine, Navy, Radford, either Xavier, Iowa State, or Memphis, Maryland, and then St. Bonaventure, which I think is going to be a very fun and, and that, that'll slate. be filled out with some some more no names at home. Okay, I have embarrassed myself. Darius has been hired as the head coach at Radford, and <laughs> Shane is going to be his assistant. Right. So, but yeah, so there's going to be a lot of Radford in that matchup. Yeah. I mean, you got three Radford high school grads. Uh, you got Tyrese Radford. <laughs> you know, uh, they all used to coach, or some of them used to coach together at Wofford. So yeah, uh, the that, graphics, the graphics team is going to have very a lot of fun sure. with the, that yeah. for the TV that day. Yeah. All right, quickly, I want to transition from Virginia Tech men's basketball to talk about hokey football for just a little bit. We're still going to get to our main topic of the day, which are the top five most painful losses in Virginia Tech football and maybe athletics history with Chris's list. <laughs> but uh, there have been six commitments for Virginia Tech football over the last week and a half. Hokies have been rolling in commitments. So we're going to go rapid fire, guys. I want to spend no more than like 30 to 40 seconds on each player because I want to make sure we spend a lot of time on our main topic for today. But let's start. Yes. I will say that Chris is going to carry this one. Yep. Sounds good. It's all Chris on this one. Okay, Chris, rapid fire. Here we go. Evan Hughes with Chris Coleman. On June 17th, Virginia Tech picked up a commitment from the person who started this whole commitment train, Jackson LaHue, who is a six foot five, two 285-pound offensive lineman from the state of Texas. Your thoughts on Jackson? Uh, good athlete. Uh, looks like he has some long arms. You know, and I'll say this. I'm going to say the exact same thing about Johnny Garrett when we talk about him. But at this point, I think some coaches, you know, they earn the right through how their players develop and perform on the field where you just shouldn't question the players that they decide to, to take, right? And Vance Vice, I think, has reached that status at Virginia Tech. If an offensive lineman is a two-star recruiter or a four-star recruit, quite frankly, I'm equally excited because we've seen what – happened with Christian Derisaw as a guy nobody wanted. Even Silas Janzi is a good player. Right. No, nobody wanted him. And But then, you know, uh, so, so this is a guy who's really good at player development, really good at identifying the types of players uh, who can make the types of blocks that, that the tech system requires and everything like that. So I, I really don't spend a lot of time analyzing Vance Vice recruits because I, I just – I trust him to make judgments that they're good enough right good enough for me that's jackson LaHue, who by the way uh according to arco highly intelligent had five offers from ivy league schools and is considering majoring in engineering in college right kind of like will stewart right 
<laughs> right. <laughs> well, let's transition to the second pickup. Matt Hoffman uh, committing to Virginia Tech. He is a verbal commit from Pennsylvania, a mm-hmm. tight end who at the time was the eighth commitment of the 2022 recruiting class, second tight end in the class, joining Harrison St. Germain of Chantilly, Virginia. What do you like about Matt Hoffman? Well, he's one of those guys that hasn't attended very many camps, of course, because there, there have been no camps. And Tech did some sort of a... Uh, off they sort of comboed with temple and at the temple camp i believe like tech had staff members at the temple camp evaluating Hmm. prospects and uh and that's where they saw matt hoffman and he had an impressive camp there and they they really like what they saw that's actually a good idea for like a smaller fbs school like temple you you might be able to draw more prospects into your camp if you tell them oh guess what power five coaches Hmm. will will be here as well you know that's going to mean that you know, nobody's going to slip through the cracks, but it'll also maybe draw some prospects into your camp that you could get who otherwise might not visit you if you didn't have Power 5 schools. Hasn't Penn State, haven't Penn State coaches gone to ODU camps, yeah, for yeah, example? Yeah, like that, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, and Virginia Tech coaches do that. They, I don't know if they've ever done it with another FBS school before, but they've certainly done it at some other colleges. So he camped at Temple. They saw him there. Then he camped at Tech? Yes. Right. Yes. Might be talking about Temple a little bit later in today's podcast. Okay, next <laughs> commitment. Xavier Simmons, a four-star linebacker from Northwest Guilford High School in Greensboro, North Carolina. A six foot three, two 230-pound linebacker. I know a lot of Tech fans on social media and the boards very excited about Xavier Simmons. He's a big guy. Um, uh, you know, you, you see some guys they have the potential to be 240 pounds if they hit the weight room hard for two or three years. Well, he's already 240 pounds, you know. I think he'll play the mic position. And and anytime you can get a guy who's been one of your top targets the entire time and his offer list also includes North Carolina, then I think that's a good day for everybody involved. Yeah, so he's from Greensboro. And, man, when you say 6'3", so we list him as 6'3", 230. When you say that to me, I don't think Mike Linebacker. That's a huge Mike linebacker for Tech. Right, and that's the difference in the scheme change. Right. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Um, four-star recruit, 190-player nationally and the number seven player in the state of North Carolina. So that's a big get in, you know, again, the, the recruiting battle of the state of Virginia, the state of North Carolina. 14 scholarship offers, including UNC, NC State, Oklahoma, and South Carolina. And that is the highest-ranked recruit thus far for the class of 2022. And same high school as Trey Turner. Correct. Yeah. There you go. All right, from Xavier Simmons to the next of six commitments for Virginia Tech over the last week and a half, let's talk about Malcolm Jones, a safety from Leesburg, Georgia, six foot one, 185 pound, who took an official visit to Blacksburg um, over the weekend. Tech was the first Power 5 offer for Jones, and he committed. Oh, yeah, and it's interesting. I just shut off comments on our uh, when, we, when I wrote the update saying he'd committed because at that time he was unranked with no other offers, right? And the first couple comments come in, and, and people are like, here we go again, yeah. offering a guy that nobody wants. Right. And then, you know, it comes out, you know, like everybody else, he hasn't attended very many camps. Uh, and then people actually watch his film, and boom, just like that, 247, ranks him as a high three-star prospect, the number 50 player in Georgia. If you watch his tape, man, you know, he's 6'1", 200 pounds. Uh, Charlie Wiles would say he has a heavy shoulder. He is a big hitter in yeah. safety. So he looks the part. And actually, once 247 actually ranked him, he elevated Tech's recruiting ranking on yeah. 247. So 
This is this year. You should not get wrapped up in anybody's ranking early in the process because, you know, some there, there there's a guy right now that Tech is going after a defensive tackle, and God, Tech's offered 350 players, so I can't remember everybody's name. I'd never heard of this guy until yesterday, but he's got offers from like Florida State, Tennessee, South Carolina, Virginia Tech, etc. And right now he's unranked he's by two four seven because he was a wide receiver slash tight end in Durham. And then he moves to Virginia and played for a private school, but I don't think he got to actually play any hardly any games this past year. So everything nobody knows anything about him. He's earned all of his offers since camp season opened in June. And it's just the ranking system hasn't caught up. I mean, you're right. just finding out about guys now that yeah. you otherwise would have found out about over the last year without sure. COVID. So don't get too wrapped up in the rankings right now because a lot of evaluations still have to play out. And the recru- recruiting services, are they're a year behind on yeah, ranking right. some of these guys. Um, so one more note on Jones. Uh, somebody asked a question, being ranked number 50 in the state of Georgia, what's that, what's that analogous to? And um, I haven't verified this, but someone on the board said it's like being ranked 15th in the state of Virginia. Between 10 and 15, yes. Yeah, uh, so. And Brandon Faison, by the way, was number 52 in the state of Georgia. I've always want to make, I always like to make that comparison. Do you remember the old Evander Holyfield, Charlie Steiner Sports Center commercial? Oh, yeah. It was like Carl Ravitz comes up to Evander Holyfield and said, Charlie Steiner says you're only the 50th best heavyweight. And Evander says, in the world? No, in Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Come and get your whooping, Charlie. (laughs) I love those. This is SportsCenter commercials. Those are the best. Okay, uh, you mentioned an offensive lineman, Johnny Garrett. Let's talk about him now. Three-star offensive lineman from Boston College High School. Yeah. um, You know, actually, if you look at the second play of his highlight film on Huddle and you see him block an interior lineman, and then there's a blitz on the outside, and he has to come off that interior lineman, pass him off to a uh, to like a guard or a center, and then quickly go outside and pick up the blitzer. And you watch how quick he moves his feet to the outside to do that. And that one play, to me, it shows why he got a scholarship offer from uh, from Vance Vice. So I've got the video going. Did you say it's the second play? I think it's the second play, if I remember correctly. Right. I might be wrong on that. For those listening, Will's currently watching the huddle. Uh, let me give some more information on Johnny Garrett. He's the fourth offensive line commit for the 2022 class. Um, they likely have room for one more player at the position, and that is one of Actually, the- probably two at this point is the way it seems, sounds like. So when I wrote that article, uh, you know, I didn't realize, like, Corbin Page was still a possibility on, on the board. So okay. could be six. There's also speculation that – Gunnar Givens may be being recruited and wants to play defensive tackle. Really? Uh, I, I don't. Well, I, I think didn't in, in his in his visit didn't he like put on the number eight jersey? He did. Yeah. So and that's more obviously an offensive lineman is not going to be wearing number eight. So. Well, again, Gunnar Givens. The reason I bring him up, you mentioned in the, the article, Johnny Garrett, four-star recruit from Lord Botetot, that is deci- expected to decide between Virginia Tech and Penn State sometime soon. And as you said, July sixteenth is the, his commitment date. The Hokies are considered it. the favorite for that one. So more to come. But that's Johnny Garrett from Boston College High School. All right, two more players. Rapid fire: Bryce Duke, a three-star running back from Tuscarora High School in Leesburg, Virginia. The Hokies go to Nova and pick up a running back. About two hundred all-purpose yards per game this past year Mm -hmm. um team made the playoffs got knocked out by salem and the mcdonald twins um he's a guy who looks like he can catch the ball and he can run it apparently his work ethic is insane he grew up a tech fan there's a picture of him on twitter 
you know, playing peewee ball, and he's wearing a Virginia Tech Hokies jersey. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I think he was excited to get that offer, and it was kind of a no-brainer for him once he got it. Uh, I like size. What is he, 5'11", couple Two, hundred pounds? Yeah, 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 yeah. He looks solidly built. He's good, good running back side, size, and I, I believe I also saw a uh, video from late 2020 of him box jumping up on 54 inches high. So hmm. stacking boxes up to 54 inches, and he's sitting in a chair, and he stands up and – jumps up onto the boxes that, i did see that that's impressive yeah. i can't do that <laughs> <laughs> I, I was watching it going hmm <laughs> chris coleman might be able to no, i don't put anything that's past not him one of gym. my talents jumping uh, and by <laughs> the way uh nick brown of tech sideline has something uh, in the works with uh bryce duke correct yes nick has interviewed bryce he interviewed him yesterday said he was a fantastic interview um and nick's got video of that and we're gonna uh nick's gonna come in tomorrow wednesday and put together a video for youtube and uh, hopefully we'll get to run that tomorrow we'll see how it comes together looking forward to that all right and a commitment from yesterday monday 28th the sixth commit over the last week and a half daquan wright committing to virginia tech a four-star wide receiver from perry georgia six foot four 230 pounds Looks to be a physical guy just to be in high school, right? <laughs> he's kind of got a highlight reel of jump ball catches in the end oh, yeah. zone, as you would yeah. expect. Um, yeah, he's a guy, again, I haven't heard of him until yesterday, until he committed, but Tech got him over Georgia Tech. Uh, one of those guys, again, no camps, starts going to camp, starts picking up offers. Um, I, I, I've, I've talked to – it's funny, like, we've done so many commitment graphics for, for guys – recently and the guys who have committed most of them have been like what we haven't done a recruiting graphic for him yet no so we <laughs> we, we got info that we got a list of eight guys that were likely to commit to tech and i think i think out of these five or six only one of them was Bryce on that Duke. list yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, that is uh, Rapid Fire with Chris Coleman and Will Stewart. Well done, gentlemen. Uh, six commits over the last week and a half, and so there's a lot of positive momentum for Virginia Tech football, not to mention with recruits being able to be back on, on campus and the, uh, the the camps that are being done in Lane Stadium. So it's I, good to see a little I, bit of normalcy. And, right, and now they're going to take a break um, as, as well-deserved because, man, that, that's, a, that's like four straight weeks of just nonstop recruiting. Yeah, Try, I'm, I'm, trying to make up for, for the last – for the lack of recruiting for the previous 15 months. So there were recruits on campus, as far as I know, every single day for like 27 straight days. Yeah, I saw, like I saw the graphic of when Tech was having camps. I, I saw it again the other day, and it was two or three I, days every week. Yeah, and, and remember, Tech is still somewhat understaffed, uh, I would say. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of people over there that were probably working – very 60 hard. hours a week and something that's not appreciated is with the ones that come in for official visits they always meet with academic advisors and sometimes even professors and things like that there are professors who generally take you know uh, summers off and they get pulled in to help with recruiting so this right. impacts not just the football staff and athletic yeah. staff but it extends beyond you, that. you saw uh dythorn's tweet yesterday I did, and he tried to thank everybody that was involved, everybody from compliance. He even thanked the lady who takes care of hotel reservations at the inn for yeah. all the for recruits yeah. in their camp uh, on campus. So there's a lot of people involved, and quite frankly, for for the lower lower level entry recruiting positions, you know, they don't get paid a lot of money, not just at Virginia Tech, but anywhere. Uh, 
but they have to work a ton of hours. I mean, in yeah. the last 27 days for them were, were brutal, and they don't get a lot of money for it. So that's that's why there's always so much turnover at positions like that throughout throughout college football. It's, it's a young person's game yeah. when it comes to working that that kind of staffing yeah. position. 40 minutes through episode 182 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We've talked Hokey Hoops. We've talked Hokey Football. You're caught up to date with everything going on in Virginia Tech Athletics. It was so positive, and now we're... Well, and again, over the summer, we like to have these these podcast discussions. What can we do to engage the Tech fans? And we are going to do painful losses and Hokey histories. We step aside for a break. When we come back, we get the top five of football, maybe some other sports. Go ahead and chime into the comments section if there's a game that comes to mind for you. If you're watching live on YouTube, we're back in just a couple of minutes. You're watching and listening to episode 182 of the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Welcome back in to episode 182 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. It is truly great to have you with us as we record on Tuesday morning, June 29th. Evan Hughes back alongside Chris Coleman and Will Stewart, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes. All right, we've gone through all the latest news of Virginia Tech Athletics. We've had fun the last month and a half or so having these fun podcast discussions, whether it's the, the Mount Rushmore, Virginia Tech Athletics, and other fun topics. Today, we're, we're taking a trip down memory lane to revisit those memories we don't want to revisit per se, but we're going to put them together in a list. So, Will, I have asked you and Chris, I've asked you to, to, to put together top five most painful losses in Virginia Tech football, and you have a list of other sports as well, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um you know, there are a couple of games that jump to mind right away, Will, but right. I know you want to lead off with a game that maybe Hokie fans don't remember going all the way back to 1981. So there are uh, there are some people who watch the podcast and listen to the podcast who attended this game and remember it, and they always bring it up. So we'll pay homage to that one, even though it doesn't make either one of our lists, and that is the 1981 loss to VMI. So the story is that Virginia Tech was 6-3, and three. Had a home game against VMI, and I believe, and I, I know if Tom Turkey's watching, he can probably correct me on this. I think Peach Bowl officials were in town to extend a Peach Bowl invitation to Virginia Tech after Virginia Tech won this game. Well, it didn't go that way. First of all, it is remembered as one of the most bitterly cold games in Virginia Tech history. People who were there will tell you I've never been that cold in my life. And Tech went out there and laid an egg and lost six to nothing. <laughs> I know no other details of the game, just that it was really cold and Tech lost six to nothing. And the Peach Bowl officials packed up their papers and went home. And uh, UVA, excuse me, Tech flattened Virginia next weekend to wind up seven and four. Uh, but that is, that is a, if, if you are of a certain age, that's a very painful loss. So I did a little research on it, uh, not the actual game, but kind of around that. And first of all, 1981 was VMI's last year as a Division One A team, coached by Bob Thalman. He had a good year that year. He went six three and one. The next three years, Bob went five and six, two and nine, one and nine, and got fired. Now I imagine dropping down to one double A didn't do his recruiting any favors, you know. And and so that was that was the last time that uh, VMI beat Virginia Tech. Well, you know, and think about it. Before then. 
you know, Tech had been a military school for so long, there wasn't any difference between Virginia Tech and VMI, really. Once you got past the... I mean, by 81, there by was. Then, it, had, yes. it had moved in that direction, but it was still close enough to that past where Tech was only a military school where, you know, it just wasn't a huge deal. But as time went by, yes, Tech was starting to recruit better because Tech moved into Lane Stadium. Uh, if Tech hadn't built Lane Stadium and Castle Coliseum in the 60s, then, you know, they would they never would have got they, – they would not have probably been a uh, Division One A team when the split – when the D1 split happened in 1978, you know, yeah. we might still be talking about our main rival is VMI. VMI and Richmond yeah. and, and William and Mary. And so, so to your point, when I was in school, 83 through 87, Tech played VMI on a regular, still played VMI on a regular basis. And it was a spicy rivalry. I mean, fist fights would break out during games between the Corps of Cadets and VMI Cadets who had come for the game. I remember a picture in the Collegiate Times of, of one of the Corps Cadets members for Virginia Tech had just finished a punch. It was a perfectly framed picture. This is Pulitzer material. He had just finished a punch and was following through, and the VMI guy was, like, spinning away, going to the ground. I mean, they would break out in fist fights. The kind of stuff uh-huh. that would, the kind of stuff that would just Fan, fans assaulting each other. Oh my yep. gosh! And it, yeah, it'd be, yeah, it would be right. run on Sports Center for at least two days. But if it, you know? if it was West Virginia, not VMI, the fan Every, base would be like, "Oh, don't play him." Yeah, everybody be all <laughs> irate and up in arms. And, so, by the way, Tech lost that game. You want to take a, a crack at what the score was of that game? You have, oh, did you? Okay, six nothing. And right. it was on ABC for regional. I know. Regional when, viewers. I forgot about that. The only time Virginia Tech VMI has been televised since they played in 1894 all the way to the last meeting in 1984 was the yeah. 1981 game. It was on ABC. So one last mm-hmm. thing about that. Well, well, that was a big deal because Tech had only been to three bowls, 47 Sun, 66, and 68 Liberty. So this was going to be Bill Dooley's first bowl game when, when the offer got extend, extended, and it did not. Um uh, I'm I'm balking all of a sudden because I think Tech played in the Peach Bowl the year before. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Don't don't don't. At any rate, bowl games still weren't yeah. a yearly occasion. They were a big Virginia deal, Tech. right? Yeah. Now the other dirty little secret about Virginia Tech football is everybody says, "Oh, that was a really good Virginia Tech team." They didn't beat a team with a winning winning record all year long. Hmm. Every time they played a winning uh, team with a winning that, record, that was sort lost. of the dually schedules. Yeah, you know, I mean, including VMI. VMI went six three and one that year, and they beat Tech. Tech's other losses were to six and five Duke, nine and three West Virginia, nine and two Miami, and six three and one VMI. So they lost every game they played against teams with winning record. Again, Tech has not played VMI since nineteen eighty four. Think about it, they played for all that time from the eighteen hundreds, and then have not played them in six almost to nothing. So. If, if Tech sideline message boards existed oh in nineteen eighty one, so so when Tech fans co- complain about the jet sweep these days, they would have been complaining about the toss sweep in, in that game, <laughs> the option yeah. style play. All right, anyway, sorry we spent a lot of time. So let's, on yeah, that. let's let's do this. So I'm going to ask you guys to go five. I'll go. Chris, give me your five. Will, give me your. We're going to go five through one. But before we do that. Let's give some honorable mentions that did not make the cut. Would you like to give me – all right, so I have three honorable mentions, but two of them are basketball. So That's okay. So yeah, okay. Go ahead. Okay. All sports, uh, throw it all together. Well, you know, since – all right, if our top five is just going to be football. Let's do top five football, but – Okay. No. Honorable mention, uh, the Sean Dockery last second shot, um, the half-court shot to, to beat Virginia Tech. At that point – it was 2005, and Tech hadn't made an NCAA tournament in a decade, basically. 
So we were starved for basketball success, and, and the Hokies were about to beat number one Duke on the road on in the their road. second year in the ACC, which you know would have been huge. And then he made that half-court shot. And it was devastating at the time. At the time, it took me a long time to get over that. I found, it did not make my list. It was on my honorable mention either way, not okay. quite in my top five. It would have been in my top five probably four or five years ago, but Tech's recent success of NCAA tournaments has, I think, made the pain of, of that loss kind of go away because at the time, like I said, we were just starved for basketball success. It was just so disappointing because it was the same weekend that Tech lost to uh, Florida State in the ACC championship game. In You're football. right. It was you a know. Sunday the day after. I remember we went to that Florida State game, and Ugh. we got back just in time to turn on the television and, and watch. Yeah, I'm sorry. You say we lost in the ACC championship game on a Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a buzzer beater half-court yeah, 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 shot yeah. the number next. One, yes, yes. I can only imagine the message boards that, that Monday that was morning. A, that oh, was my a, goodness. That was, a that was not a good weekend. I just I just remember <laughs> being, in, being in my basement – and uh, gosh, we had hired Chris just the previous summer. That's right. So he and I are on the on the phones, and and I it's, and so one of the details about the game is that Tech was losing by by eleven. Yeah, well, it was like a, ten or eleven, and Tech went on like a twelve nothing run to end the game over, over the course of the last three or four minutes yeah. to to actually take a lead. Yep. Right. Tell that Tech was up by a point or by two, a point. And, and then Docker Docker hit the shot. Yeah. So so Chris and I were on the phone with each other. I was, I was like, I can't believe this. We're about to beat the number one team on the road, and Docker makes that shot, and there's just silence. I didn't, we didn't even cuss. We were just like, ah. <laughs> All right, so that's a good honorable mention one in the chat right now. The Tyler Hansborough uh, yeah, buzzer beaters yeah. being brought up right now uh, for North Carolina. Any other honorable mentions? Any sport, football? I've or... got 2007 Boston College as an honorable mention. In football? In football? Yeah. Honorable, honorable mention? It's honorable mention for me. Wow. Um, and I'll tell you, uh, it's only honorable mention for me because – People will say, oh, it might have cost us a chance at the national championship. Mm. No way they would have put us in the national championship game after what against LSU, after what LSU had, had, had done against us. I, I, I know it was a BCS then and everything, but I just – I don't feel like that game really cost Tech anything. Uh, that is certainly debatable. Yeah, I was about to say uh, because – all right, so even if it didn't cost them a national championship game, just – the the it was what well, was a cold rainy night. I mean, I thought this was going to be like number two or number one on the list for it's, you guys. It's, so it's way up there for me. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about it a little bit though. I mean, even just Ryan the dagger, not even top five. I'm uh, not, no no. I had uh, overall. I I had, it was one two three four five. It's seventh on my list. Hmm. Um, wow. Basically, uh, and then my other honorable mention, which actually made my top five. But was the uh, the Duke Sweet Sixteen loss? I was going to think about that too. I think that's that's a that's a really good one um, because yeah. you, you never know. Once you get that to that point, you know you've got a puncher's chance to win a national championship. And I'm not saying Tech would have; they probably would not have. But you know, if if you win that game, you're in the Elite Eight, man. You got a shot at it, and anything could yeah. happen. Yeah. Um, so you talk about players making plays. So here's an alternate reality. There's an alternate reality where Matt Ryan doesn't complete that pass, and Ahmed Hill does make that shot. Yeah. 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 Ooh. Now, to be fair, or, the Ahmed Hill shot would have only, like, forced yeah, I think double overtime. overtime. Right. And or I still overtime. think it would have been tough to win because, yeah, Kerry Blackshear had four fouls yeah. at that point. I mean, it, it but you're been, right. It, but, yes. but just the game itself. Absolutely. Now, now, I, now, personally, I would not have gone for the two-pointer. 
there, just for the reasons you just stated. I think that game was trending in the direction of Duke. We needed to win it right there, which is yeah. why, for me, Ty Outlaw takes the Ty Outlaw, shot. yep. 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 Three-pointer. Virginia Tech's all-time leading three-point shooter. Is he actually? Yes, he is. Okay. He, uh, to be officially the leading three-point shooter at Tech, you have to average two makes a game for your career, and he ended up averaging like exactly two makes a game. So is it number of makes or percentage that he's number one? Percentage. Okay, but, right. but, but, but you have to uh, – you know, average a certain number of makes per game, and he, he barely and he made right it. There. Yeah. So quickly, from a basketball standpoint, then we'll get to the top five for football. Is the Sweet 16 loss to Duke the most painful Tech basketball game? For me, yes. No, no, and I would have said the Dockery shot until recent history. So maybe if Virginia Tech, you know, starts getting past Sweet 16s and maybe going to a couple of lead eights, maybe a Final Four here and there, maybe the, the pain of the Sweet 16 loss will fade hmm. for me. Kind of like the Dockery shot. Yeah, and you, you go back to the 67 Elite Eight that Virginia Tech was in. Again, I don't remember the details, and I don't know if there's anybody in the chat who will remember the details, but I believe Tech was playing Dayton, and they had Dayton down. They should have beaten them and gone to the Final Four, and mm-hmm. they gacked it at the end. So for anyone who watched that one, I'm sure that one's still painful. All right, here we go. Top five most painful Virginia Tech football games in history. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start with Will on this. I'm going to ask for your number five, and then we'll get to Chris's number five. We'll go all the way up to number one. And again, if you folks want to chime in, we already have a lot of the chat. I'll get to that at the end. If you think we missed one, I'll read it at the end. So be sure to chime in the chat. But let's start. Number five, and for Will Stewart, most painful Virginia Tech football game, who's the number five? First of all, I'm going to put the Michigan game as an honorable mention. I'm, mm. I'm not going to put that one in my top five. Um, and I, I can't. No, I'm going to put that at number five. Uh, look at, looking at my list here, one of these is much more personal than it is program-wide. Okay. And that's the 2012 Sugar Bowl, correct? Yes, so after 2011 the 2011 season. season. Right. Um, just, you know, some games make you sad, some games make you mad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the 38-10 ACC championship game lost to Clemson that year, that just kind of makes me sad because that was the passing of the torch. Right. But, but that loss makes me mad because Tech was clearly – never mind the Danny Cole catch. Tech was clearly the better team. They coached themselves into that loss, and they also just had Horrible bad luck. luck. Remember when they, when they blocked the field goal? And the, like the Michigan offensive lineman caught it and ran for a first down, and Michigan ended up getting a touchdown. I, so, I know. so blocking a field goal actually cost Virginia Tech four points in that game. I, I know. Just, and and there, was there, a, there was more than one play like yeah, that in that yeah. game. When you had a punter who was kicking, right, or our kickoff specialist who was our kicker that game, correct? We were down to our third string kicker. Oh, but it was Danny Danny Cole was punting in that? Danny game. Cole was our punter that season, but we were down to our third string kicker because the first two were suspended. Like one, one of them got sent home. One of them got sent home. Uh, you know, pulled a, a Keith Short and had too much fun on Bourbon Street. And he had actually gotten sent home from uh, the Orange Bowl the year before, too, because oh, he gosh. had too much fun with Dennis Rodman, who was having his New Year's party at the Virginia Tech team hotel. Worth it. Worth it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the question is, was that the, that was the Kansas? No, the year before. The year, you know, the year before that was Stanford. The Stanford oh, that's Orange right. Bowl. Oh, Guys. totally worth it. Party yeah. with Dennis Rodman. Oh, I would have got sent home, too. <laughs> but what was that kicker's name against Michigan? Was it Meyer? Was it, I mean, he made, like, the first Justin four? Meyer, I Justin believe. He, he, was our, he was our kickoff specialist, but our third-string kicker. And he did make a 40-some yarder right. in that game. Yeah, yeah. But, but then he, he was missed. not why Tech lost. But, but then he missed the one in overtime. But, but, but yeah. Right, real quick about this game. That's number five for you. I, I, Danny Cole catch that ball, yes or no, honestly? 
I think it should not have been overturned. Correct. It yeah. shouldn't have been overturned. Yeah. I don't yeah. think. Yeah. Um, but that's that's actually number four. On yeah, yeah. The list. question the question to really ask is: Should it have been overturned? It was called a catch. Should have been left a catch. Right. If it was called a no catch, then it, you know mm-hmm. I can't yeah. see them overturning it and calling it. A that, catch. That's the moment everybody remembers from that game. But I mean, t- Tech could have put that game to bed well before overtime. Man. You know, remember? I remember they were up. Were they up? They were up six nothing. Uh, they drove the field with ease. Their first couple drives got field goals. Then I think they were they drove again and they went for it on fourth and one. And they did a quarterback sneak with Logan, except it wasn't really a sneak right up the middle, despite the fact that he was two hundred sixty pounds. They kind of tried to cutely run it around the left side with him and got stopped. And, and that was a game where David Wilson ran backwards something like 20 yards oh, on the play. Oh, I forgot about that play. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember Logan was shredding Michigan's defense at the passing Yeah. Game. And Tech should have just thrown the ball all over the yard, and of course they didn't. And that there was another play where I think uh, David Wilson breaks out for this long run, and then he just runs into Jarrett Boykin's back. Just runs right up just his back runs right into him. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay, uh, so that's number five for you. And that was number four for four, me. Okay. We, we, uh, so what is your number five? My number five is the Kansas Orange Bowl. Mm. And uh, I remember going to that game. And, you know, this is a game, you know, Tech should have won by – three or four touchdowns they totally outclassed kansas in terms of talent um and i i just remember when kansas got up 17 nothing you're just like what in the world's happening here you know virginia tech they were going for their 12th win of the season which would have been a school record right um it was a bowl game and at that time you know the program would get would catch a little bit of heat because yeah after the texas sugar bowl they had lost you know all their big bowl games since then with the exception of the Actually, no, they hadn't hadn't even played. Yeah, they had. It was the next year they beat Cincinnati in the Orange Bowl. So yeah, they won that Sugar Bowl in '95, and then they lost to Nebraska in '96, and then lost they, to Auburn in 2004. 2004. Uh, yeah, uh, lost the national championship game, obviously. Right. right. Um, lost to Florida State in the Gator Bowl in 2001. So at this point, you know, the program was sort of. They had developed a reputation for for losing, you know, quote unquote, big games. Yeah. Whatever you're, and, and then you you go in there in a big game that that you should win by three or four touchdowns, and boom, you're down seventeen nothing. Mm. And and th- this came off the heels of the 2005 Miami loss, the 2005 Florida State loss, 2006 it, Georgia loss, 2006 Georgia loss, uh, exactly. So. Uh, you had four games there within about a three season stretch. Yeah, it was really about a twenty five month span. And, yeah. and don't forget the BC game was also earlier right, in two thousand seven. Right, right, right. So at this point, like I, I remember, that was a. I remember coming back from that game. I remember riding the bus back to the hotel because because we had we we rode a bus from the hotel and it was just like, why are we spending thousands of dollars? continuing to go to these games and when we know what the result's going to be. That, 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 that's when the, that's when that thought started creeping into the head of the fan. The head, yeah, the fan there, there, and, and we can we can list a certain number of games where um, portions of the Tech fan base broke. I won't right. use the word snapped, right. but broke. Yeah, and said, yeah. I'm not doing that anymore. Right, right. And, I, and you remember the, the Michigan Sugar Bowl just – there wasn't as big a crowd. I mean, Tech fans love New Orleans, right? Because yeah. they had so many great memories there. But the Michigan Sugar Bowl, not nearly as many people went to just simply because of bad 
uh, I didn't go to that Sugar Bowl um, just simply because of bad uh, bad bowl experiences in the past. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who's the coach of that Kansas team? Mike Mangi- Mark, Mangino. Mark Mangino. And that's the other thing is that was a once in a lifetime, not, not decade, not generation, <laughs> a once in a lifetime team for the Kansas Jayhawks. Ugh. That program sucks. Yeah. And they, they were good that year. They won 12 games and one of them was Virginia Tech and they thoroughly outcoached Virginia Tech in that okay. game. Yeah, you look I've got a Wikipedia. Mark Mangino was fifty and forty eight from O two to O nine. The coaches since Mark Mangino, Kansas. Turner Gill, five and nineteen. Charlie Weiss, five and twenty two. Clint Bowen, one and seven. David Beatty, six and forty two. Les Miles was three and eighteen. Oh my god. And now Lance Lapold is the new coach. He's the new their, sacrificial lamb. Their program was good that year and they they've utterly collapsed since oh, then. Yeah. But thank you for Khalil Herbert. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's number five for you guys on the list. Let's go to number four for Will because we so know got, Michigan yeah. game is number four for Chris. Right. Number four for Will Stewart. Man, I'm I'm debating is it is it 2007 Kansas or is it 1998 Syracuse? So it's, the, it's almost like that's a tie for number three and number four for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, let's start with the – we just talked about the 07 game. So, let's talk about the pick, 98 man. Syracuse game. For the for the Malcolm and I's, the college kids who just graduated who are not alive in 98, give us the recap of what happened in that Donovan McNabb game. So, Virginia Tech had a very good team that year. They went they wound up going 8-3, and 9-3 and because they won their bowl game. But they wound up going 8-3 and three in the regular season, and all three losses were very, very late in the game. They were They were this close to being an undefeated team. But their offense was pretty terrible. <laughs> Um, Al Clark was the quarterback, and Al always played great against Miami, and, and it was tough as nails, but that was about it. And he was hurt a bunch. In that know. 1998 Syracuse game, Virginia Tech had six first downs, something like I don't know, between 100 and 150 yards. And 70-some of that came on one play. It was play. about half of their total output came on one play. Jarrett Ferguson, the fullback, up the middle. Up the middle. Lost his shoe. Blew his shoe. So it's a, it's a really famous play in the history of Tech football yeah. that younger fans probably don't remember, but a long touchdown run by a fullback up the gut with one shoe. Yet that was basically the only thing we did the entire game. Now, Tech still scored like, what, 26, 26 points? 26 points so because they, got, they kept blocking punts. and So they got seven points off that one long run by Ferguson and did nothing else all game long offensively, but they – I can't even keep track of it. It was defensive touchdowns, special teams touchdowns. I, I think we, we they returned we, a two point conversion. Two point conversion. That's what I remember. You know? Yeah. And there was even something where Lauren Johnson, I think, was on that conversion play. He handed it off to somebody behind him. So it was a wild game, and Syracuse had Donovan McNabb, and so Tech was winning twenty six to twenty two, and Syracuse went on the last drive, mm-hmm. and they just did. They just nibbled and and chipped away at it and got down there and and wound up with a final play and so by that by that time McNabb was exhausted and actually threw up threw on up. the field yep. and Virginia Tech called a timeout before the last play so there's this big debate of you should have just run the play because McNabb was busy vomiting all over the field. Just let him run the play. <laughs> and I don't remember whether Syracuse had any timeouts left. I, I don't remember yeah. what down it was or anything like that. I just know it was the last play of the game. So Tech calls timeout. They go over to the sidelines, and uh, the Virginia Tech coaching staff tells their defense they like to run the throwback. They'll roll McNabb out and throw it back over the field. So watch for that. So Lorenzo Ferguson, you've got – Was the, the whip. Jim, Jim Cavanaugh looked at Lorenzo Ferguson and said – 
you've got that responsibility. That's your guy. You've got the tight end on the throwback pass. So they go this back is- out there. Syracuse snaps the ball, and, and, and McNabb runs out to the right, turns around, throws it back over there, and Lorenzo Ferguson is nowhere to be seen. Right, and, and Michael Hawks gets in the area to defend the pass, and people are always like, oh, Michael Hawks gave Blew up the that pass. Play. No, he made a great play just to get there. Yeah. Right, so this is a, a situation where the tech coaching staff literally told the defense – this is the play they're going to run, and this is your responsibility to stop it. And then they went out there and didn't execute, I guess, you know, is what you would say if you're a coach in a post-game press conference. So this is a tangent that always reminds me of when I, was, when I was coaching one of Malcolm's basketball teams when he was little, and the other team had a play. They were throwing it in underneath their basket with like five seconds left. So we grabbed our kids and said, you guard him, you guard him, you guard him, you guard him. The kids go out there, and there's a kid standing all by himself underneath the basket. And they, <laughs> they pass him the ball, and he lays it in, and it always reminds me of that. So – the game ended on that play, 28-26. And so being young, Evan, what that was a great rivalry at that point in time. It, 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 it had been six or seven years Syracuse of great Syracuse had a lot games. of really good players. Yeah. Rob, the Rob Conrad's of the world. It yeah. still gives me nightmares. You know, McNabb and the whole McNabb thing, He that was his fourth year playing against Virginia Tech. And it had turned into a really good rivalry. And, and, and he went two and two against Tech. Two wins in the Carrier Dome and two blowout losses in Lane Stadium. Yeah. So my, my dad likes to tell stories about going to see Tech games. He's a Tech grad, and he took a bus from Virginia up to Syracuse for that game. Oh, and he no. just has great story how much fun it was <laughs> in the stands. And he tells – it's it's funny hearing you share the story like that because he – I mean, almost to a T, just the way you said it, I mean, he's like, there's the rollback, and he's, he just has this – he's in that end zone. He's well, like, there, there – you know, there it is. When did TS – what year did TSL first have message boards? It was after that. Oh, that's a shame. No, I think the grassy message boards were around back then, so we had message boards. Yeah. I'm oh, sure wait. they crashed. So McNabb in that game was 15 of 32, 232 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Al Clark, want to take a guess of what his passing line was? <laughs> Six of 18. No, I don't know. Okay. He was four of 12 for 35 yards, no touchdowns, an interception, and a long of 14 yards. He was sacked three times. I, I remember – Just three. Wow. I, I remember – one play where Andre Davis went over the middle and Clark hit him. And Andre Davis went on to become a great player at Virginia Tech. Yeah. But, uh, but he just hit him right in the hands and he was wide open and he dropped it. Yeah. And it was like a third down play and you're just like, the defense better hold on because there's no way we're going to score. <laughs> uh, Jarrett Ferguson, three attempts, uh, three carries for 76 yards and a touchdown, a long yeah. of 76 yards. Chiron <laughs> Stith, six carries, 37 yards. Uh, Lamont Pagese had nine carries in that game. Uh, Andre Kendrick had a carry. And Al Clark, seven carries. Um, and then receiving-wise, three players caught passes. You want to take a guess at who caught passes in the 98 uh, Syracuse game? Ricky Hall. Yep, that's one. Uh, Andre Davis was the other. And okay. then there's one more. His name's uh, been mentioned. Pagese. Jarrett Ferguson. Jarrett huh. Ferguson. So there you go. That's just pathetic. Six first downs. All right, so let's recap real quick. So, Will, you're five through three. You have five was the Michigan Sugar Bowl. Four was the interchangeable four and three, the Orange Bowl in 07. And then three was the 98 Syracuse. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. And then, Chris, so I'm you're on, five my through n- three. My number, my number oh, sorry, my, but, but my see, five. My five is the Kansas Orange Bowl. My four was the Michigan Sugar Bowl. My three is 2010 Boise State. 
Okay, let's talk about it. That was to open the season at FedEx Field against Kellen Moore, an opponent Boise well, State offense. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Virginia Tech went down 17-0 17 17 in that nothing. game. It was like program tradition back then to go down 17 nothing in a big game. They, right? they came out there, yes. Yeah, so, so FedEx Field held 92,000 fans. It, it was like it was like Lane Stadium plus an extra 30,000 people with Winter Sandman, right? Yes, there, there so. were there were like 4,000 Boise fans there, and that was it. There were something like 86 to 88,000. It was a fans. home game for Tech, except an even bigger home field advantage than normal. Yeah, the, the, the atmosphere was insane. Like, I, I can't believe Boise accepted that game. They were ranked I mean, in the really in hindsight, too. you're going to go all the way across the country to play Virginia Tech and FedEx Field right in the middle of their fan base. I they mean, um, they would play that, anybody anywhere. Clearly, that, that was yeah. that was nuts, and and so the tech players came out and utterly lost their minds. Yeah, there was one player that one tech player that on a punt committed two personal fouls. Oh, it was DJ Coles. Yeah, like one, a, a personal foul at one end and a personal foul at the other end. I mean, it was seventeen nothing before you and sat did, down. Did, with and your did they block board. a punt earlier? Uh, yes, they, they did. Right, right. Yep. Um, that that led to that. And it, it always it was always in these big losses there was one trend it was always a special, special teams mistake teams. Yeah. yeah and then just anyway so yeah so and I, I remember that was one of the games I've only been like mad after a couple of tech losses and that was one of them um, it's not on my list but the other game I, I was really really mad at it wasn't a heartbreaking loss I was just angry it was the 2008 Florida State loss where we were down 10 points with 3 minutes left and we punted but, but because our offense was so bad and I can't say I necessarily disagree with us Frank thought we had a better chance to score by punting and hoping that Florida State fumbled the punt he pretty much said that he pretty much said that on the air and and that's probably correct but at the same time you know Three minutes left, you've got to go for that. So I remember being really angry after that. And I was really angry after Boise State because, again, it continued the trend, big game losses. And, and, and like, you saw some people check out after the the, the Georgia game. Some people check out after the Kansas game. Some people checked out after the Boise State game. It was another one of those check-out moments. Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious because you – let's go back to the 07 Boston College game for just a moment here. You said you don't think that loss – impacted Virginia Tech's national championship hopes for that year. No, because even if they even if we had gone to the national championship game, I think LSU would have completely flattened Virginia Tech because they already they already done it by 41 points earlier in the year. So, so. what cuz uh, let, let's go ahead. You guys have already said you think that Tech lost to JMU. The the Boise State loss was like times 2 because of JMU, oh, right? Cuz no. so I'm curious, are you, you uh, think JMU JM, JM, lost it on the Richter scale for me? Like I don't even think about that loss. Do you think that the, the what game had more of an impact on Tech in a national championship the 07 loss to boston college or the season opening loss to boise state when you look back on it i would say season opening loss to boise state mm-hmm. and um so so in our game recap boise state's listed as ranked fifth and virginia tech sixth the, um, the tech website has them at third but yeah. there could have been multiple polls well they were probably using ap i was probably using whatever made tech look better <laughs> um so you know, Virginia Tech had a very good team that year. I don't remember where the defense wound up, but Tyrod Taylor was a senior. Defense wasn't quite as good as it normally was. But they was. were good. But they were they yeah. were good enough. Like maybe 15th or 20th in the country. No, they weren't. They were like 50th. Hmm, really? Yeah, that, okay. that, that was your Lindell Gibson year. Mm. Remember the Wake Forest running back oh, running yeah. for 200 yards? As Lindell ran alongside him and watched. Right, yeah. Uh, so it was just uh, – at that point in time, I'd been doing – Hokie Central and Tech sideline for close to 15 years. So a lot of the the fanship had been 
worked out of me. But for that game, uh, I was in fan mode. Rented a Dodge Challenger, a buddy of mine and I, we drove up there, met a bunch of, uh, I had a lot of college friends who lived up in the Northern Virginia area. Of course, we had a big tailgate in the 130 degree heat and then went inside and the atmosphere was just amazing. And, and the story I always tell is after that game ended, the usher had to tell me to leave the stadium, not because of the way I was behaving, but just because I sat there. I just sat there while the place emptied out. And then a guy came by and said, you got to go. And so for me personally, that was a really important, really pivotal game. Mm -hmm. And what I remember is that Tech lost their minds. They had another terrible offensive coaching game. And at the end, when Boise needed to go down the field and win the game, they did everything they needed to do, including for their touchdown pass. They went after Jerron Gouveia Winslow, first game starting as a whip, and they knew it and went right after him. They, they were so smart and tough. And Virginia Tech was not smart and not tough. And they, 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 their defensive alignments, they just baited us into throwing a bunch of deep balls when we should have been trying to run out the clock. Oh, the way and, Tech managed yeah. the end of the game was horrendous. And, and, and you know, it was basically like Tyrod. Tyrod was Superman, basically. And that's Tech why we were ton, in the game. Yeah, Tech yeah. had a ton of talent, you know, and yeah. Let me give you some numbers from that game. I've got the box score up. Tyrod, 15 of 22, 186 yards, two touchdowns. Um, gosh, running the ball. Tyrod, Ryan Williams, Darren Evans, David Wilson, Josh Oglesby. That's a, that's a pretty good group. And then catching passes, Jarrett Boykin, Dyrell Roberts, Marcus Davis, Ryan Williams, David Wilson, Danny Cole. That's a ton of talent. And, and for the most part, we could only move the ball when, when Tyrod did something special. Right. Right. They did make one really good call on fourth down. I remember that went. Oh, it was kind of like an out and up play. And yeah, that was a fourth that was, that down was a really touchdown. Nice play. Yeah. I tell you what, that, that Boise State team, though, the amount of players that went on to play professionally, though, I mean, that was a really. First of all, the coach. Kel, Kellen Moore became the Cowboys' offensive coordinator. Yeah. yeah. Within like three years of retiring from the NFL. <laughs> yeah. Not even. Uh, you had Kellen Moore. Uh, you had uh, Doug Martin, who went on to be a great, great running, running back, back. Yep. in the NFL. Yep. DJ Harper. Um, Titus Young, Austin Pettis, who I think was in the league as late as like last year or two years ago. They had some good defensive linemen, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, it was a, yeah they, they did. They did. Yeah. And, you know, this this might be the point where, you know, the 1999 Tech played for the national championship, and you spend the next decade, you know, basically ranked in the top five almost every year at some point during the season. Right. Right. So you're knocking on the door. You're knocking on the door. And I think it was the 2010 Boise State loss where after the game, I just felt like, you know what, it's never going to happen. I think that's fair. Sp- spent a whole decade thinking, we're so close, we're eventually going to get over that line because we almost did it in 99, but after the Boise State loss, I was just Look like, nope. at the talent on the nope, field. It's just, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So Hokie D in the comment sections and Wayne Kent are bringing this up. I'm not doing this to you, Will, on my own, but – what is? Oh yeah, it's under there. People are loving I, and bringing I, up the uniforms. I, I, Boise I State don't game. know. I hate it whenever I see. No offense, if you've got one of these jerseys, but you go to tech games and you see people. So many people wearing the black jerseys from yeah. that game. I would wish everybody would take those jerseys and just burn them because it, it reminds me of like one of the most painful days in the history of my entire Virginia Tech fandom. And every time I see somebody wearing a thirty-four Ryan Williams jersey from that game, I, I just think about that game and it depresses me. So for me, that's number one. You that's know, number that's, one yeah. for you. Yeah, the Boise State game. Yeah, number one. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we've got you guys all the way through five through three. Right. So, Will, let's go to you for number two on your list. 
You know, I realize in, in doing this on the fly that I have bumped the 2007 BC game out of the top five. <laughs> because number two, are we down to my number two? Yeah, you're number two. I bet it's Chris's number one. Miami 27, Virginia Tech 7. Two, uh, it's not my number one. It's my number two. 2000, uh-huh. 2005. Yep, um, yep. Uh, that's what can the, you that's say? That's the day that, ESPN packed up and left town. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was the game. That That was – the game we all marked on our calendars before the season, the biggest game in the history of Lane Stadium. Yeah. And uh, it just went out. Marcus went out there and laid an egg. The defense played well enough. Tech was number but, three in the country, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and Miami was five. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Now, you know, the th- ironic thing is, you know, even if Virginia Tech had won the game, they still probably wouldn't have played for the national championship because Texas and USC – both went undefeated. They were number um, one and number two, I think, pretty much the whole the, year. Pretty much the whole year. Although, but you know, you never know what a win over Miami would have done to BCS rankings. You, you, you don't know. But uh, but just for the way the hype of that game, that's the only ticket. That's the only time I've ever struggled to find a ticket to a Virginia Tech football game. Yeah. I didn't find one until like the day before the game. Wow. Um. So like, so I was like, I mean, I, that was my first year out of college, so I couldn't afford season tickets or anything like that back then. So I just had to rely on. You know, finding them on a week-to-week basis, and uh, I struggled. Um, but the hype of that entire day, the tailgate was phenomenal. Uh, the, walk. the walk was great. It Every, was a huge it, recruiting weekend. It was, oh, God, there were so many big-time recruits in, yeah. in town for that game. Uh, God, I remember I tailgated with a group that made this huge banner with all the recruits' names on it. Yep. Um, yep. Just, Just an incredible day. The best day in the history of Virginia Tech football until kickoff was that day. Um, the saddest part to me, this is a personal perspective, is I lived in Fox Ridge at the time. And I remember on Sunday night, the day after this game, I sat on my balcony and I watched them shoot off all the unused fireworks from the game. They thought they had ten to fit, a good 10 or 15 minutes worth of fireworks that they couldn't shoot off during the game because Tech only scored once. Right. No, you know, for a night game, they shoot a far, shoot off fireworks every time Tech scores. Well, Tech only scored once, so they had a bunch of leftover fireworks. And I just sat there on Sunday night for a good ten or fifteen minutes on my balcony, and Watch it was a nice you. show. But it, it was like, man, every everybody, like players, administration, fans, everybody except for Lee Corso who picked Miami. Yeah. Everybody anticipated. I mean, that was back when every night game in Lane Stadium almost, I mean, Tech, it was just a, it was going to be a blowout Tech win, no matter what. It was to be the coronation of Virginia Tech football's 10-year building process. Correct. Like, like you made, made, they won the Sugar Bowl in 95, made the national title game in 99. Uh, You know, a couple years later, you really start to recruit better. You take advantage of that national championship hype. So, you sign a borderline top 10 class with Kevin Jones and Randall and D'Angelo Hall in 2001, and you're adding guys like Vince Hall and Chris Ellis, Xavier DB. So you're adding all this talent. Uh, recruiting the previous five years, basically, had been really good. So that was the most talented team in Virginia Tech history, and everybody knew it. So you're right. It was supposed to be the coronation of the build of the program. All of it. Yeah, yeah. and – Twenty-seven to seven loss. So that that's that's number two on my list. So uh, I remember early in the game, David Clowney got behind the Miami defense, 
and Marcus didn't even get it close to Oh, him. yeah, yeah, you're right. I remember I, that. I play. think he overthrew him by a good 10 yards almost. The yep. ball just bounced in the dirt. We've got a picture of it in our media library that I can I see. I mean, and David Clowney was fast, and yeah. if he couldn't get to it. And I remember thinking, huh, uh-oh. And, boy, that, you know, we, we had had in many indications that Marcus was not Michael. And that night solidified it. Michael played the best game of his career against Florida State in 1999, one of the best programs in the history of he college football. He came through in clutch situations and big games. And right? Marcus in, was, in, in the most important game, six turnovers. Yeah. Absolutely. Two interceptions and four lost fumbles. He was 8 of 22 through the year for 90 yards. It was, he, it's incredible. He completely crapped the bed. He was night. the ACC Offensive Player of the Year that year. Yeah. He was a really good player. His game against West Virginia, there's 15 of 17. It was one of the best performances a Tech quarterback's ever, ever played. Yeah. So going into that Miami game, Tech opened up the season that year at NC State, won a close one on a Sunday night, 20-16. Right. to 16. Here were the scores that led up to that Miami game in 05. Mm-hmm. At Duke, 45 nothing. Ohio, 45 nothing at home. Number 15, Georgia Tech in Blacksburg, 51-7. to seven. Game day was there that day right. for Georgia Tech. At West Virginia, 34-17. And that's the only game West Virginia lost all year. Hmm. There you go. Marshall, 41-14, Maryland, 28-9, and then the week before Miami against 13th-ranked Boston College on a Thursday night, 30-10. to Yeah, they were steamrolling everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and the crazy thing is, you know, they still made the ACC championship game that year because Miami choked away their season the last week against Georgia Tech. Because Georgia that's Tech Miami. Beat them. That's, that's Miami. Right. Yeah. Uh, someone's asking, isn't 2005 VT's best defense ever? Yeah, you could make that argument. T-Man 450 in the chat. You, you you can make that argument. I think um, 04 and 05 were both ranked number one in the country. I 04 think. wasn't quite. I think we were ranked – Tech was ranked number one in 05 and 06. Right. And, and, num- almost and number, in number four in 2004 it, and like number some, four in 2007. Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, they, they had a four-year stretch. Where they, I, if I remember correctly, they were number four, number one, number one, and number four. Right, right. And, 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 you know, you have to throw number 95 and 99 on that list too as far as possibilities yeah. I mean there's a lot of Bud Foster defenses that can make that claim but I, I would say from top to bottom 95 or excuse me 2005 was the most talented in terms of NFL talent and depth the depth on that of that defense was was insane so what so we've done my top five right and we haven't done Chris's number, number one, one. Right? but before we get to Chris's number one if you're watching live on YouTube right now or archive please like and subscribe and and comment. Yes, please. In the chat. We have 15 likes right now live. Please help us out and please That's give us weak, a thumbs y'all. up. Would appreciate it. Okay, Chris Coleman. Number one, uh, Florida State Sugar Bowl National Championship game. Hmm. At the time, it was not heartbreaking. It was bittersweet. Uh, but as time has gone by and, and, and you look at the circumstances of what happened to that game and, you know, Tech fumbling on the one-yard line on the opening drive and then not playing the fourth quarter with either one of their starting cornerbacks against Peter Wark and Chris Winkie. I mean, that was a game Tech could have won. Yeah. Uh, well, Billy Hyde said afterwards we should have won. Well, they, they sh- I think they should have won the game. Yeah. I, I'm not saying Florida State didn't have more talent, but Bobby Bowden said it after the game. He said, Tech's a be- Tech has the better team. Hmm. He said, maybe we have the better players, but they have a better team. And we, we, But Tech didn't play like they, 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 they could have played and should have played, and then those injuries in the fourth quarter obviously hurt them. But you know, for years and years and years after that game, I, know it was, I never considered a heartbreaking loss or, or a disappointing loss. Bittersweet, to be sure. Uh, but it, it's only later now that I, I think it's taken on new meaning because 
you know, we'll, we'll never reach that point again. Most likely. Right. Most likely, Tech will never have an opportunity to win a national championship ever again. I, again, we went that whole decade thinking, yeah, we're going to do it again. So that didn't make that loss heartbreaking at all. Um, but now that we realize it'll probably never happen again, it makes it tougher to stomach considering Tech was winning the game going into the fourth quarter. Right. I mean, know. could our status right now as a program be different? If that fourth quarter had gone had gone differently, if Ike Charlton and Anthony Midget hadn't gotten hurt, and if Michael Vick hadn't, hadn't turned, turned the wrong, wrong way, only option, and if f- Frank hadn't punted to Peter Work, right, right, angle uh, it out of bounds, right. So, so, so much comes to mind. It's funny, you, you, and I'll start with one of the last things you said. You bring up the question: Would the Virginia Tech program be different? Mm-hmm. I've told people before it wouldn't have been any different. I don't think it would have been either personally. If Frank had won a national championship, he would have kept doing what he was doing. I, if any, yes, correct. He would have probably been more inclined to dig in his heels even more and say, for, and for, for good reason, you won a national championship. You're that, doing something right. that sort of validates you, hey, doesn't I got it? The formula. Uh, but I, I, I generally agree um, that, that it wouldn't have been different, although you, you, nev- you never know. Uh, but. Even if it hadn't been different, you know, at least we would have we we would have that moment in time, right? We could yeah. we could all yes, look back and say true. we want it. And again, we went a whole decade thinking we were going to have that opportunity again. And then over the whole decade of the two thousands, we thought yeah. we were going to have that opportunity again. And then the whole decade of the twenty teens was us slowly realizing that we'll never have that opportunity yeah. again. So as time has gone by. That loss to me is transitioned from being a bittersweet loss to a pretty darn heartbreaking loss just huh. because of those circumstances. That's funny. It, it didn't. It didn't even. I guess it'd have to be an honorable mention for me. But some other things that came to mind while you were talking is, uh, I remember. So number one, uh, Florida State out coached Virginia Tech. They neutralized Corey Moore. Um, Frank made the mistake of punting the ball to Peter Work, um, which in in this day and age you wouldn't. Oh yeah, uh, back then like. Back then, it wasn't a trend to like angle it towards the sideline yeah. when you got an elite. But special teams, they've really they've modernized a lot yeah. since the 1990s. And, and, and so the third out coaching moment was when Florida State had that fourth down and they lined up in a formation where they'd run a certain play mm-hmm. all year long and they ran a different play. They, they, they tossed it out. First, to, they just passed it out to Travis Minor and he yeah. got the first down by like a yard. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and, and so, you know, uh, Florida State out coached Virginia Tech. The second thing was I remember the break between the third and fourth quarters. Tech had taken the 29-28 lead. And so they, they went to commercial between the the third and fourth quarters. And I remember thinking, and I've said this before on the podcast, wow, it's about to happen. Virginia Tech's going to lay 17 points on them in the fourth quarter and win going away. Yeah, and because, you know, that how that game started. Like when it was 28-7 to Florida State, like – to me, as a Tech fan, like I knew how good Tech was. Yeah. And I knew they weren't 21 points worse than Florida State over one and a half quarters of football. I, I knew Tech hadn't come close to playing the way they were capable of playing. So when they started doing that, and they had all the momentum. I mean, they went from being down 28-7 to 7 to winning 29-28. to 28. All the momentum in the world. Yeah. And then they're starting two starting cornerbacks get hurt and miss the fourth but quarter. But all, all year long, Tech had just blown people out in the fourth quarter. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and then the so the last thing is I, uh, for reasons I, I don't recall, I just kind of – I didn't express thing. I flew down that day, saw the game, and flew back that night. So after the game, we went out and 
got on the bus and I remember sitting there on the bus and I didn't know anybody on this trip. I wasn't going with anybody else. I just went up and back by myself. And I remember just sitting there in the bus and looking out the window and while we were waiting for everybody else to get on the bus and thinking, wow, that that'll never happen again. That was tech's chance and they let it get away. Now that turned out to be wrong. Tech was a, a top five team for many years after that. Yeah. Um, but I just remember in that moment thinking, mm, that's not likely to happen again. Well, you know, and after that game, it was a few years, I guess, afterwards when Tech put the empty trophy case in the Merriman Center yeah. that said, this case is reserved for the national championship trophy. It was the goal of the program, the stated goal of the program. And yeah. everybody thought we could, we could accomplish it accomplish it because the talent level, the depth of the program did start to increase. But uh, then it just, it just never. It couldn't get never, over the hump. Yeah. 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 If Tech scored on that opening possession, do they win the national championship? Eh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Do uh, there's so that's... many factors in that game. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe if they score on that opening possession, they're not in the position where Frank has to feel like he has to fake a field goal and fake a punt. He was trying to. He was chasing points the rest of the right, game. Right, right, yeah. right. Even like going for the two point conversions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was chasing points the rest of the game. So I don't know. It's it, maybe. It certainly uh, would have. Uh, put Florida State on alert. Instead, they went up 14 nothing. Well, I, I've seen it before on the ACC Network. I've only seen the opening drive, and that is the extent that I need. I, I guess I need to go watch when they were down 28, so I want to watch yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that that chunk. But yeah, anyways, yeah. Well, I, 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 this is uh, – I'm a very positive guy, and this has been a uh, tough 45 minutes. What was your Let's idea? Get, hey, well, no, here's my idea on the second. Let's do a top five wins on the next podcast. All right. The top I'm, five I'm best for that. wins in uh, – in tech history, as Ronnie Adams stated, uh, that we need to do. I do want to I get think to everybody's we've done that before. Have we? I think we, you know, it's funny. I was thinking that that we yeah. might have, and that was part of the reason I thought about this because I, I, thought I think at we've some done that before. Point we did that because well, for me, it's always the '95 Sugar Bowl. Yeah, I feel like we did do that at some yeah. point. Uh, but, well, let's let's get through a couple of comments uh, real quick here. Uh, Boston College, Matt Ryan, and Boise State from Shea Francisco. Worse for me. Uh, Sam shot Miami at home 2001, Michigan lost in bowl, Syracuse 98 carry dome, and Kentucky in bowl game. That would have been recent. Mm, that would have been. Yeah. Uh, Hokey D, 2010 loss to JMU was awful. I was severely underdressed for that game. Sat in the <laughs> rain and watched us. <laughs> Which game did he say? The JMU game. Oh, Said he was severely underdressed. Um, let's see here. Uh, a couple of other comments. Hokey D, Old Dominion in 2018. I actually put that. Uh, I made a whole list here. And and it includes that game. Uh, he also brings up the Temple loss in 1998. See, I I didn't even that that one's not on my radar because I wasn't there for that game. I was up in up watching. My wife is a Penn State grad, and I was up at Penn State that day, so it was kind of surreal for I me. I was at a little mini family reunion in Salisbury, North Carolina, and I remember stopping. On, on, I was like 15 years old, but I remember we stopped in one of those Southern North Carolina barbecue shops on the way out of town to get barbecue. I look up at the TV. And you see the ESPN bottom line going yeah. across, and it said Temple 28, Virginia Tech 24. And I thought it was a misprint. I mean, there was no way for, uh, T- Virginia Tech could lose to Temple in the stadium. So, so I, <laughs> I get back home, and my dad hadn't gone with us. But I, I go and see my dad, and I'm like, we didn't really lose to Temple, did we? <laughs> that can't be right. <laughs> hey, sure enough, we had lost to Temple. Speaking of Temple, real quick, Jeff Holland is in the chat. Oh, our, uh, our, our player expert extraordinaire, <laughs> Jeff Holland. No but no comment better than when he was talking about the altercations in practice. I still love that comment right. and how hard we were laughing. I, I saw uh, – well, wait, wait. So he's, he, he's got a top five. Okay. 
Number five for Jeff Holland. UVA 98 up 29-7 at half dot, yep. dot, dot, UG. Yep. Four, Michigan 2011. Regardless of the cold catch, no catch. Says Beam should have played field position in defense. Three, Boise State in all caps. I hate BSU with an exclamation point. Two, Boston College 07. A dagger in the heart of all Hokies that rainy night. And number one, Temple 98. Oh, Temple gosh. was the all caps worst program they at the time. They were terrible. Oh, they were, they mean, were awful that year. I think and, and, yeah. they had lost to like William and Mary the previous week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was, like, I don't even know how that physically Probably happens. Probably at home. <laughs> Probably in front of 2,000 people with a vet, right? Yeah. Uh, so, oh, it's, it's, it's funny. Uh, I ran into uh, a guy who played football at Tech with Jeff. This past weekend, he was in Blacksburg. He watches the podcast, and he's like, "Sometimes I think about uh, commenting, but J- Jeff always says everything I'm thinking, so I don't have to." <laughs> right, right. And he was like, "He was like, yeah, we used to fight all the time in practice, just like Jeff said." <laughs> so the thing about the Boise State game that I left out is that uh, um, for for a few years around that time, I was helping Bud Foster out with a, a fundraising event he did after the spring game. He would do things at uh, at the Marriott. Where he'd have former players come in, he'd sell tickets, and it was to raise money for his lunch pail defense fund. And I think the last time we did one of those was around 2012 or so. And so I was around some of the players for a few years after that game, and you could tell that Boise State game really haunted those guys, you know. And like, like that was a specific question you asked them during yeah. during the. Uh... Yeah, the open mic session, right? Yeah, and uh, you said what was the most painful loss, and pretty pretty much they all said Boston. And it was, or, or, excuse Boise me, Boise State. State. It yeah. wasn't what they said; it was a look on their face when right. they said it. Right, right. A couple other quick ones, real quick. Uh, the 2006 bowl against Georgia, Tech was up 21-3. Uh, Glennon fumbled two interceptions that led to easy scores for Georgia. Um, again, I'm just going through the comments, making sure we get everybody included in here. We're going to end on a positive note. I promise everybody. We've got something in the comments. Uh, Team Man 450. Recency bias with Commonwealth Cup 2019 is up there last 10 years. Hmm. VT had such momentum, and the winner was going to the Orange Bowl, which was true. That That's was true. a that was yeah, a bowl yeah. berth to the Orange Bowl, yeah, essentially. That game. Um, team Man, that was Kansas's best team in history. Yep, we talked about that. Um so, yeah, and then a lot of people talking about the jerseys from the Boise State game now or uh, everything back. Uh, Jeff Holland, um, I'm in the minority, but I hated those black and orange jerseys, dot, dot, dot. There you go. Jeff, that, that, that's what the comments are all about right maybe, now. Maybe I'd like them if we won the game. I don't I know. I just know Ryan Williams looked awesome. Oh, he looked great, but every time I see one, I think about yeah. my third most painful memory as a Virginia Tech fan. Yeah. So let's, But let's, let's, let's close the podcast with this because we talked about men's basketball earlier in the show and – Maryland, Virginia Tech, and Grievous Vasquez playing in front of literally just 10,000 students. students right. Justin Thomas, I was a student that year, all caps, we tormented Vasquez and got in his head. Uh, Adam Hughes, I was at the ice game, amazing atmosphere. Yeah. So I want just a great memory to think about Grievous Vasquez, Maryland, Virginia Tech. The, the, the other Maryland game that is so memorable is, is the one we lost in, in triple overtime because that game was supposed to be an afternoon game, but like a, a, a water line Waterman, broke in yeah. Castle Coliseum. So like not, none of the faucets or toilets would work. So they had to postpone the start of the game by like four hours. And I think it ended up starting at like, six or seven o'clock at night and i remember my group there was like four of us we went out to boudreaux's to get mimosas at like 11 o'clock because 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 we thought (laughs) we thought the game was gonna start at one (laughs) and then then we found out that it wasn't starting and we just stayed downtown 
Oof, that was yep. not not great. Say idea. no more. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, how about I? I think uh, if we've already done top five games, I think in the future maybe top five tech atmospheres, or we're, we're going to do something the opposite of this for the next podcast. Something yeah. we'll we'll, we'll something talk about happy. It, but yeah, yeah. Thanks for bearing with that. But hey, yeah, something, something. best tech atmosphere is in a non loss. Yes, in a non loss because okay, the pregame narr- atmosphere for two thousand Miami was two thousand five Miami. Yeah, yeah two thousand five Miami was incredible. Chris, you're getting a lot of love with your hat and shirt. By the way, people oh, are, yeah. are. I love the retro it. stuff. I hadn't. I'm very picky when it comes to hats. Okay. I hadn't bought a new tech hat in probably five or six years. I've been rocking the same two over the last five or six years. But I found this one and one other one. Though I've got another one that's like the old retro VT from the '80s. Has anybody commented on my haircut? I got a haircut. Nobody not, is coming on the haircut. Not a but, word, huh? Uh, it looks good. Looks good. I'm going to go get a haircut sometime soon. All right. We're uh, we're over the 90-minute uh, mark. I know Will and Chris have to get back to work, but uh, Chris, I'm got six for, uh, six commitments in the last week and a half. What's on TechSideline.com right now that people should read, and what's coming up this week? Gosh, I think we did yesterday, Brandon Patterson and I did a little scouting report on – what position did we do? Defensive line. Yep. And, you know, uh, we'll finish it off with linebackers and defensive backs over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and today, uh, once we get done with this podcast, I'm going to start working on a, on a recruiting update, trying to fill in some gaps about who Tech is recruiting, where they stand. They, uh, you know, there was a week ago at this time where I wasn't sure if Virginia Tech would take another running back in this class. And now it kind of seems like they might, or at least they certainly would if they have the opportunity. So uh, just be a little update about that. Uh, you know, there's a, a some little bit – there are a few changes, uh, I think, on their board at defensive tackle. Um, so uh, I'm going to write about a little bit about that today. And your Friday q and I invite everyone to go back and read that from last week about the running back by committee. Possession receivers, and you tackle the question of can Connor Blumrick – be a possession receiver. Yeah, that was actually my shortest answer in there because the answer is nope, no. Well, I'm not saying he couldn't. I was going to tease it. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> not, not saying he couldn't, but the last two years, Virginia Tech has needed either three or four quarterbacks to get through the season. And right now, Connor Blumberg is going to be second or third on the depth chart. So if you base it off the last two years with the injuries Tech has had at the position, I think it's, it would be a major risk to move him to another position right now. Also on TechSideline.com, an article on every one of the six commitments. Uh, those players and their huddle links are on there as well, I believe. And then uh, a good article from about a week ago, but Ryan Willis inching closer to an NFL opportunity from Corey Van Dyke. Good read. I invite you to go back and, and read that. And, Will, it's a great time to become part of the Tech Sideline family. eighty four ninety nine the annual price, eight forty nine the monthly price, and twenty nine ninety nine my favorite, the student price. Right, and so we're going to start training David Cunningham probably mid-late next week. We're going to let, let, you, let the July 4th holiday come and go and then bring him in and start teaching him. And ACC football kickoff is July 21st, so Chris and David and I will all be going down there for that. Uh, the season is uh, is not far away. But this was, uh, it was a, a great show, and I appreciate everyone. Seriously, this is one of the podcasts I always remember where the comments were just Roll on, on the live comments. So again, if you're watching archived, like, comment, and subscribe, please. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tech Sideline to stay up to date with everything going on at Virginia Tech Athletics. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Coleman TSL. Will's on Twitter at Will Stewart TSL. And that'll wrap it up for us on episode 182. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? Before Thanks we for off? listening and watching. Yeah.
Absolutely. All right, that'll wrap things up for our managing editor here at Tech Sideline, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. I'm Evan Hughes saying so long. Thanks so much for watching and listening to episode 182 of the Tech Sideline podcast, proudly presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Have a great week, Hokies, and we'll talk to you next time.